Hi, fellow Muppet fans, and welcome once again to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch The Muppet Christmas Carol two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And today we're excited to have a first-time guest. Guest, who are you? Hi, I'm J.D. Hansel, and I'm a first-time guest. And you're excited, too. Yeah, a a long-time listener. Very glad to be a first-time guest. Well, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for listening. Um, JD is one of our uh, Internet Muppet fan friends, uh, a, a Tough Pigs contributor, and among other things, I mean, you, you'll probably get to this at the end of the show, too, but um, yeah. JD has his own uh, Muppet fan projects, including the Bad Henson Bistro Twitter account, which is very funny. Yeah, thank you. I'm the guy behind Bad Henson Bio and Bad Henson Bistro. Those are probably the big things I'm known for now. Right. But yeah, I've got upcoming stuff with tough pigs that i can't talk about yet Ooh. and maybe someday i'll be best known for those things whoa intriguing well that'd be cool right this minute you're best known for being on this episode of the podcast in which we're yes. talking about minutes 25 and 26 of the muppet christmas carol in which scrooge has dinner everything is very spooky and statler and waldorf make a big entrance so we pick up with Scrooge evaluating the condition of his best dressing gown, which he previously uh, beat the crap out of at the end of last week's clip. Um, fortunately, there's no harm done, which is good because you can't. It seems unlikely that Scrooge is going to go out and spend a lot of money on a new dressing gown. So True. wait, you think that you think that even if he had damaged it, it would still be his best dressing gown by default? Oh, um, <laughs> so it would be I guess it depends how many dressing gowns he has, right? So if his second, if, if he like made a hole in it and then his second best one doesn't have a hole in it, then maybe his second best dressing gown becomes his best dressing gown. I don't get the sense that he has a lot of them. Like this guy's no. incredibly cheap. You can see it in his nightgown. You can see that his chair is all torn up. And that's a big part of what I like about this. He doesn't have money so that he can have a lot of fancy things. He has money for its own sake. And you really see that in this scene where his rooms feel so bare. Right. And everything looks like it's in really bad shape. And he does not care so long as just the numeric value of his wealth is high. Old Scrooge, he loves his money because he thinks it gives him power. (laughs) (laughs) It's in the song. Uh, Next, we see Scrooge sitting by his fireplace. He's preparing to eat some cheese and bread. Um, now, in in the book, he eats gruel. It specifically oh. says to take his gruel, which kind of makes cheese and bread seem fancy. Like, <laughs> I, it's one of those things where in the book, he, you know, are there no prisons, nor, no workhouses? He thinks those guys can eat gruel because that's what he eats. Like, it's good enough for him. Right. Okay. Rich man, Ebenezer Scrooge. It's good enough for the poorhouse. But in this, he's like eating eating bread and cheese you got to go down to the market and buy bread and cheese. right that does seem like kind of a, a luxury especially in this setting that we've seen um the cheese looks like like the fancy cheese that you would buy at a cheese shop or in the like the separate fancy cheese section of the grocery yeah. store <laughs> um the bread looks kind of bland though like right, just, just but it's like plain. a nice big it's like a nice big loaf of bread it's that's not like true a, is he gonna eat that whole thing in one sitting right which I was I was watching this clip with my son Miles today, and he goes, "What's he eating?" And I said, it "Looks like bread and cheese." Miles said, "Well, that is a good nighttime snack. Most people do that." <laughs> so I think he just, is it a tradition in your house to have bread and cheese uh, as a nighttime snack? We uh, we will do like charcuterie boards oh. as like a special special like night you know meal or whatever mm-hmm. sometimes. But yeah, so just bread and cheese. Most people do that. It's a yeah, good nighttime snack. Okay, the the bread um, looks like the brown bread that they serve at Cheesecake Factory, which usually comes you in think- a basket along with some sourdough bread. But I always skip over the brown bread and go straight for the sourdough. So you think it is cheap <laughs> because it reminds me of you Cheesecake waste- Factory? You- no, because you wasted at Cheesecake Factory. Oh you- well, that's true. You think it's not but- even worth. You think they're going to give it to somebody but else? When I'm with, nah, it's going in the can, bro. <laughs> When I'm with my wife and uh, frequent podcast guest Stacy, she eats the brown bread at Cheesecake Factory, and I eat the sourdough. So it's like a Jack Spratt sort of situation. That's why you're a good match. <laughs> exactly. Um, everyone, please uh, comment and email me with your opinions on the sourdough bread at Cheesecake Factory. 
<laughs> I like how they have to think about eating when making this scene, which is kind of a weird thing to say. Mm-hmm. But for most Muppet productions up until this point, the Muppet team is having to think about how to meet puppet needs. And this is an interesting scene in which they're having to think from a filmmaking perspective about how to film a human actually eating food and not just the Muppet show reveal that the food on his lunch plate is Muppets. Because (laughs) that does mean that like he can't actually eat much of this in this scene. Because for that, you need like, you need a spit bucket usually. So the actor can spit it out. But both of the shots of him eating in this show the whole space around him. You get the floor, you get the space all around the chair. And so from the shot from the banisters, you do see him eating and presumably the bucket is hiding on the other side of the chair. (laughs) He does actually bite into it. Yes. For the next shot, he just kind of like moves the food around on his plate Mm. and it looks a little awkward because he's not picking it up. He spends a little time just kind of tearing the bread into little pieces, I think. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But then they pull your attention away to the bell. So they don't have to make him, eat as they do the shot over and over and over again, which is what would happen because it's tricky to pull focus to the bell in that really beautiful shot. That is one of my favorite shots in the movie. Yeah. 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 Um, You do hear actors complain about having to eat on camera and like biting into the same thing over and over again and chew the same thing and in multiple takes. So yeah, I guess up to now they had, there had not been a shot in a Muppet movie focusing on a human being eating. I guess. Not that I can think. I mean, obviously, there's stuff like the storyteller where they must have. But I don't know how much this was the same team. I just like how much (laughs) of this sequence is without Muppets. And that's a weird thing to say as a Muppet fan on a Muppet podcast. But the for these two minutes, it's the first minute and 16 seconds where there are no Muppets. It's in full before this clip starts. It's a two minute stretch in full where... No Muppets, just Scrooge. Mm -hmm. And I really, really like that because it shows that they trust that the story works. Yes. Like they've given you Kermit's number. You have been assured and convinced that this is in fact a Muppet movie. Mm -hmm. And now they're just going to do the scene that they need to do and not rush it. Like none of this scene feels rushed at all. There's no sense that they're hurrying to get you back to the Muppets. They're like, this part of the story needs to just be it needs to be able to breathe i love it it works so effectively they're also sort of asking the question what if we made a muppet movie that was actually really scary and Mm -hmm. that's what's going on in this part right it's just it's it's it's... go ahead okay sorry one one of the things i was wondering is since the the two of you are a bit older than i am and so for, for me this movie has just always existed and been part of the muppet thing but Ryan, did you see this in the theater? I did, yes. And Anthony, how about you? I did not. I, I was eight years old. Or I turned eight that Christmas season. Okay. I saw it on video the next year for the first time. All right. So by that point, both of you already had some idea of what a Muppet movie was. Oh, yeah. And then you got yeah. this. How did that change feel? Like, were you thrown off by a scene like this? Would this have bothered you as a kid? Or did it all just work without without you thinking about it? I don't think it bothered me. I think I I was happy to have a new Muppet thing mm-hmm. like anytime, which is still the case. Um, sure. And not really looking at it as like, alright, you gotta prove to, your, to, to me that you can do this without Jim Henson. But more like, okay, let's go see the new Muppet thing. Yeah. And I guess which this was the smart thing uh, that they made the decision to adapt a familiar story. Just knowing a Christmas Carol already, I kind of knew what to expect. So I don't think I don't remember that the scary stuff threw me off too much. Well, I, I was think I was too young to be aware of like, it's the post Jim Henson era, you know, like, okay. like I was, I was in third grade probably the mm-hmm. first time I saw this movie. And so I was, that was the same year that I got to watch the Muppet show on Nickelodeon at my grandma's house. And I don't remember any feeling that this was any different than the Muppet show. It's just like, well, now, now the Muppet, like the Muppets did Robin Hood on the Muppet yeah, show right. the other day. And now they're doing a Christmas Carol. Sure. 
That's the kind of stuff they do. You, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas yeah. Ryan's Ryan's three years older, four years older than I am. And so I think he was probably more at his critical faculties in place more than I did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's just so striking to me, both that it is th- that this Muppet movie is centered around a human instead of Kermit. And this is the scene in which they have to prove that they mean that and that they're going to yeah. actually take that seriously yeah. and not just rush through this. Uh, but also now because they've decided to adapt this story that has scary parts, they have to commit to shooting and editing this like it is a horror movie. And I feel like at the time as an audience member, if I went to see a Muppet thing and wasn't that familiar with the story of a Christmas Carol already, it was just like, Oh, it's a a Muppet Christmas thing. It'll be like Muppet family Christmas. And then I find myself watching this scene. I would probably be a little thrown. I wouldn't be quite sure how to feel. I bet there were some parents of young children who were a little bit like, oh, I don't know. Like, should we stay? Is this too scary? Do we need to leave the theater? Which is why they have I think the, the Gonzo and Rizzo quip about it at yes, some point, yes. right? Right. But also I think the fact that Stetler and Waldorf show up and start making jokes. Yeah. Right. Is 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 the resolution of this. Yeah, that's right. That it's not relieving it's, the tension. It's not, right. It's not Michael Caine as Scrooge, and then here comes John Hurt as as sure. Marley or something, you, you know, it's Statler and Waldorf that. and they're doing, Oh yeah. That would always be great. great to see John hurt anytime. Uh, but it's Statler and Waldorf doing bits so yeah. that it like brings kids right back into it. I know like, again, I watched this with miles today and he's just like, Oh, there they are. You know it's what scary, I mean? It's like, scary. Oh. It's scary. Ha ha. It's a Muppet movie. I like yeah. that. It's not just the resolution though. It's like the synthesis. Because it's not just, well, enough of that, now back to Muppet nonsense. It's kind of creepy and silly fun that's Muppet true. It continues at the same time. Spooky, right. yeah. That's right. It's it, Making those two elements work together is kind of a magic trick. Because I am nervous. I mean, not now, of course. But I think when I first watched this, whenever that was, I was kind of nervous when Statler and Waldorf come up and they're mm. ghosts. And they still look kind of creepy. And I still don't know what's going to happen. Like they, they kind of, they break the tension, but they keep just enough to keep this very much a ghost story. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's a really tricky tonal balancing act. Yeah. Yeah. How is this someone's first film? I know. I don't understand. They make it work. Um, <laughs> so there's this shot of Scrooge picking up his plate off his little side table with the bread and the cheese on it in the, in Brian Henson's DVD commentary, he says that this was a really complicated shot because they had to pull the chair with Michael Caine in it away from the camera for some reason, rather than just moving the camera away from the chair. He doesn't actually explain why they had to do it that way. Maybe there just wasn't enough room for the camera to make that move. But um, that's just one of those things that we never think about when we're watching a movie. Like, what kinds of weird... Uh, uh, logistical, technical things did they have to problem solve their way out of to make this this one little shot. So I guess there's some crew members below the frame, like pulling the chair that Michael Caine huh. is sitting in. Yeah, you can tell that it's a very carefully planned scene, but that part I would not have thought about at all. Right? Yeah. Why would you? Uh, also, we've been talking about the the direction and the look and everything. The score in the sequence is also so good and so important. That's in my notes too. It's not on the soundtrack album, is it? I or don't is it? remember. No, Mm-mm. it's not. It should be. It, the only yeah, the only instrumentals on the soundtrack are Good King Wenceslas and the Electric Mayhem thing at the at the uh, at F- Fozzie Wiggs party, and then a couple of uh, instrumental reprises of like "Room in Your Heart," or right. whatever, right? Like, yeah, uh, stuff so like is that. that. Is that all attributed to Paul Williams? Then is that the idea that anything that might have been composed by somebody else no. was not included on the album? Well, well, no, because it has "Good King Wenceslas," which Paul oh, right. Williams sure did oh, yeah. write. You know, um, does it have? The yeah, overture? I don't know. It has the owner. Uh, okay, does so the that's sure, but the overture is Paul Williams. Again. Well, that's true. It's all made of. Um, Paul but Williams. you know, I'm so, so I'm looking. There, there are tracks called "Christmas Past," "Christmas Morning," and "Christmas Future" credited to Miles Goodman on the soundtrack. Okay, but okay. But, but but not this piece. So it's later. Hmm. It's all 
It's all ghost stuff. Well, there's this one riff that repeats in this scene that's kind of like, do, 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 which is just, just really sets the mood, sends chills down your spine. So compliments to Miles Goodman. And also you hear a little bit of the Scrooge theme from earlier in this, and that that helped Mm -hmm. too. Yeah, it's I don't like, know if I noticed that. Dun, 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 dun. It's just that, right? It's like the when a cold wind blows, it chills you, right? Yeah. It's that. Oh, yeah. okay. That's and what it's building on then. At some point, I think there's like a synthesizer, ghostly, angelic voice sound or something hmm. that you'd hear in probably most movies doing a scary scene, but it works really well here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, we see the clock on the wall, and it's about 10.30 p.m., which is pretty late for... If this is Scrooge's supper, but I guess maybe like like Anthony's uh, kids, maybe it's just like a late night snack. It's a late night snack, yeah, yeah. nighttime snack. Is my I, I have been known to pour a bowl of cereal around that time. So same, oh sure. <laughs> um, so it's very dark. It's very eerie. And then, as JD mentioned, this bell on Scrooge's wall rings. I guess this is the Victorian version of a doorbell where normally somebody would be at the front door pulling on some kind of handle or rope to make this, this bell jingle. We're looking <laughs> yeah, at you, Anthony. Or I mean, does that seem like, yeah, like on, like what we see yeah, at like, Abbey where they have the bells downstairs and people pull on the bells and yeah. rings upstairs. Yeah. Right. Well, it's like in Winnie the Pooh, right? Like the owl has Eeyore's tail as a, as a oh, yeah. doorbell chain outside is outside is that's where they find eeyore's tail right is right it's, is it's almost new doorbell so that's how doorbells worked back then um yeah, in the book that's so, 1920 26 right the book so yeah that's around downton abbey time okay yeah there you go um scrooge seems like so he notices the bell but then he kind of just looks around and goes back to eating i guess he's he starts just a, breathing heavily though after the bell a little bit yeah but then he just seems like he's not going to go check to see who's at the door, I guess, because he wants to finish his bread and cheese. But then the the bell starts ringing like crazy. And now Scrooge is definitely um, frightened. Well, we talked before about how many times Scrooge says humbug in the book and that there's only seven times and two of them are in this scene. And it's right before and after the doorbell starts ringing. Oh, like, I, I failed like, to document that. I'm glad you, you noticed yeah. that. Yeah, in the in the book, this is not in the movie. He doesn't say. Oh, movie, oh, he doesn't say humbug in the scene. In the clip. Yeah, okay. doesn't say it in the scene in the movie. But in Got the it. book, he is he has um, tiles of Bible characters around the wall, hmm. and he sees Mar- he sees he like sees Marley's face in them. Whoa! Hmm. So there's I, I don't, more. It doesn't more seem like haunting. they are actually. Yeah, it's either haunting or it's just like he's thinking about it because he saw him on the doorbell. It's not. It's not really clear. Or they're not. Ah. Um, but he sees that and says humbug, and then, and then he, the bell starts ringing loudly and crazy. Uh, this might have lasted half a minute or a minute, but it seemed an hour. The bells ceased as they had begun together. They were succeeded by a clanking noise deep down below, and then Scrooge says it's humbug still. <laughs> so, even that doesn't doesn't shake his his faith that this is all fraudulent and nonsensical. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I guess I don't guess there's any adaptation where they show Scrooge hallucinating Marley's face on pictures of Bible characters. I don't think I've yeah, ever and seen. in the and in the book it actually lists like what specific Bible characters are. There's like a whole <laughs> it's couple Moses sentences and of Samson like, and yeah. Do you want me to do you, do you want me to read it? Do you want to know? Sure, yeah, please. Is is this boring or is it is it fun? I want to know. I'm curious me. now. All right, so now i got to find it again in the book. Here we go. The fireplace was an old one, built by some Dutch merchant long ago and paved all around with quaint Dutch tiles. Designed to illustrate the scriptures, there were Cain's and Abel's, Pharaoh's daughters, queens of Sheba, angelic messengers descending through the air on clouds like feather beds, Abraham's, Belshazzar's, apostles putting off to sea in butter boats, hundreds of figures to attract his thoughts, and yet the face of Marley, seven years dead, came like the ancient prophet's rod and swallowed up the hole. Wow. So there you go. Yeah. That that was, put that in a, a movie version of this. That was an incredible reading, Anthony, but I <laughs> still you. really like to hear it from Gonzo. And so they should have put right? it in the movie. 
Yeah. <laughs> that would have been great. I, I recognized all those names except, was it, what? Gumshazar? <laughs> but, uh, let's see. I don't think it was Gumshazar. <laughs> no. Let me see. Let me see. I hope so. I hope it was Gumshazar. All right. Let's see. I see. I already shut the book. This is ridiculous. Uh, Belsh- Belshazzar. Oh, Belshazzar. Yeah, I don't know how that is. So Belshazzar is a, okay. let's see. Belshazzar was the son and crown prince of, oh, he's a, he's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, it sounds like. Okay. He's a Babylonian prince. Wow. He's in the, Belshazzar appears as a central character in the story of Belshazzar's feast in the biblical book of Daniel. Okay. As always, this podcast is so educational. So do we think, do we think that Scrooge, like, is he just a big Bible nerd? Like he likes the deep cuts? Well, is, but it would be Marley's. Okay. Yeah, it's, it was Marley's, Marley's house. house before. Oh, okay. That yeah. makes sense. That's probably Marley's. I, I do love God. the idea, though, of, of, of Scrooge or Marley just being like, you got to include Pharaoh's daughter. You got to <laughs> include Belshazzar. Don't, yeah. don't give me any of that Noah. Don't give me. Peter and Paul. I don't right. want it. You know? <laughs> Those are for fake fans. <laughs> exactly. He's a Bible hipster. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. So there's this very cool shot or series of shots. Um, Scrooge is being filmed from very high up with the bell in the foreground. Scrooge looks very small and vulnerable to these supernatural goings on. And then I think it, there are these three maybe or four quick cuts where the c- camera kind of jumps closer and closer and closer as the bell is ringing and it's just so cool and just adds so much to this eerie thing that's happening. I love it. It's one of my favorite sequences in the whole movie. Yeah. It's, it, I, I think I love it because it's, there's no other scene in this movie or in any other Muppet movie that feels like this. It's such right. a, a, a remarkable moment of montage. Yeah. Yeah. In a movie that doesn't seem like it would allow for that. Or that it would need to, yeah. It's so effective. And as I was watching it, I was trying to figure out how exactly was the, sh- was the sequence of shots even done? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't look like they're just zooming in or cropping in. I think they had to adjust the camera or adjust some lenses each time. And uh, uh, Michael Caine just holds the pose. Just it holds very the same expression on his face. It, it it just it looks great, and it's all in a space where it, it seems like the shots of the bell are tricky because it's a partial wall. Like you're getting part of the wall that's beneath the bell that the bell is hanging on in the shot. Mm. So like they have the camera coming through the wall, or it's a partial wall. But in the shot before, where you're seeing Scrooge from the banisters. Uh, or fr- from the staircase, like the Statler and Waldorf POV shot almost that you get earlier, there's no visible wall above the fireplace. It's just total darkness, totally in shadow. So I'm wondering if it's even there in that shot. Yeah. they may. Yeah, maybe they just were removing pieces of the set. I, it it feels that way. Yeah. it feel, Which is probably what they do all the time with these movies that I just don't normally notice when I'm not <laughs> well, looking you're at not them watching two minutes, two minutes at, a at a time. Exactly. Yep. Very cool. Uh, Scrooge is just like frozen in his chair. Then the fire and the fireplace goes out. The camera is circling around Scrooge in the darkness. Uh, we see before he can see that there's now fog blowing up his staircase. It's very scary. I, I keep trying to think of, of other synonyms for scary, spooky, eerie, <laughs> frightening. Uh, terrifying. Terrifying. Ghostly. Yeah. And then ghastly. It is ghastly. And then the tension is released, as we mentioned, because two ghosts pop up out of the staircase, and those ghosts are played by Statler and Waldorf, our friends from the Muppet Show. I wish the listeners could see Anthony <laughs> right now. <laughs> looking happier than ever. Hey, bopping his head a little dance. Of, uh, of his, yeah, a little dance with Statler his head. I'm so excited. I'm yeah. so excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these guys are great. Um, Statler and Waldorf, of course, are playing Jacob and Robert Marley, the previously mentioned um, deceased partners of Scrooge. Um, and yes, as JD alluded to, this is how many minutes and seconds that we've gone before we see Muppets in this clip? 
It's uh, in this clip a minute and sixteen seconds, but yeah. in full, it's just over two minutes. Okay, yeah. Oh, so, which I guess doesn't sound like a lot, but in a movie this tight, yeah, it is a lot. Wow. Right? Yeah. So it's just great to see him. And uh, Waldorf is being performed here for the first time ever, as far as I know, by Dave Goles, who is still playing the character today. He has now been playing Waldorf twice as long as Jim Henson did, which is kind of mind blowing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Statler is performed by Jerry Nelson, which is also a recast, sort of, but it's not the first time Jerry Nelson ever played Statler because he played Statler in the Muppet Show Sex and Violence pilot, which was the first appearance of the character, although he played him very differently there in Sex and Violence. Statler and Waldorf are just kind of these sleepy old men sitting in a like some sort of lodge or club. They're not, they're not heckling anybody. They're not making snappy jokes. Um, and then Richard Hunt ended up playing Stadler on the Muppet show and thereafter. So I don't know how the two of you feel. I think with the exception of maybe Beaker, I, I feel like the Stadler and Waldorf recasts are some of the Muppet recasts that, that are the easiest to accept or, that sort of yeah. go down, go down the easiest without really needing to adjust. Um, I think it just needs to be two old men making yeah. jokes, and the voices can be close enough, and it's fine. Right, you know? Dave Goals is doing an approximation, or I guess sort of his his version of Jim Henson's Waldorf voice, but it doesn't really sound like him. And Jerry no. Nelson doesn't really sound like Richard Hunt's. Statler voice, but I've never seen anyone on the internet complain about, you know, wrong sounding. Statler sounding wrong. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. And even Statler has been recast twice since then, and I still haven't seen any complaints. Right. Yeah, I've never, well, three times if you count Drew Massey and Victor Garrett. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> you know, who played Well, nobody really watched from the balcony. But <laughs> from the balcony. The, the general um, public did not watch from the balcony. No, I didn't either. I mean, I watched 10 or something. <laughs> Um, I've never been but, able to find it. I'm always curious, but I feel uh, like maybe maybe it's best that I don't. The, we talked about we, this on a previous episode. I believe yeah. our guest Patrick Cotner found a few of them on YouTube. If you want to go, yeah, okay. some some but not all are on YouTube. Mostly okay. the ones with with Jerry and or Stephen Dave, Stephen Dave, not Jerry. yeah, Stephen Dave. Yeah. Well, now I'll have to look. I um I I have a few thoughts on Statler and Waldorf being in this. Anthony, did you have? thoughts you wanted to well, say first yeah i was just gonna say the thing that has always struck me about Statler and waldorf in this movie is like ryan said this is dave Goles's debut and essentially jerry nelson yeah really mm-hmm. for all debut. i mean it's, it's certain, certainly their debut as a pair mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they are literally playing the ghosts of characters played by their dead real life friends. yeah this that's is what i was gonna about. say and that's gotta be so strange. Like I've never, I've never heard either one of them talk about it having been strange, but it seems like it would have to be, Yeah, you know, like what a, what a thing to do at work, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I think that what makes it especially, I don't know a good word for it. What, what makes it especially weird is that this is probably the most famous pairing of Jim Henson and Richard Hunt this is kind of their yep. main duo. Yeah. I can't really think of another obvious one. I mean, um, Kerm- Kermit and Scooter, right? Tis yeah, kind but of. But it's not. That's not, that's not Kermit and Fozzie. Not the it's same. not the same. Uh, and yeah. so this is the pairing of the, the two people we were just reminded at the beginning of the film have just died. Mm-hmm. And right. they are now appearing yeah. not just in, in this film together. They're appearing as ghosts. Yeah. When they're... Uh, that's... It's, it almost feels insensitive. Not quite, but it gets kind of close to feeling insensitive now that <laughs> well, I, I think, I think you have to be, I think you have to be such a big Muppet fan that you think about. To really think about that. And I'm sure that occurred to, to, to be insensitive. I'm sure yeah. that occurred to the Muppet people and maybe they decided that it was a tribute rather than, uh, you know, a travesty. Which is and, how, and I think it feels that way. I think so. Yes. Yeah. Next week we will get to the line where they say it's good to be heckling again. It's good to be doing anything again, which you can sort of take either way. It's it's Marley yeah. and Marley saying the line, and also it's not Lauren Waldorf 
saying that it's good to be doing anything again. I think right. as as far as their performances in this, I feel like Jerry Nelson Statler is right for this role in a way that Richard Hunt Statler maybe wouldn't be as good because yeah. Jerry's has a kind of uh, a kind of gravitas to it. Like there's something very powerful about the way that Jerry is playing Statler here so that when he is reading Scrooge, the riot act, when he's condemning Scrooge, uh, maybe that's in the next clip. I, I hope I'm not going too far into this, uh, but I, I feel like it, it's just, it's powerful. It doesn't just feel like heckling. It doesn't feel like they're just cracking jokes about Scrooge, even though they do that. Like I'm, I'm genuinely moved by Jerry Statler. He feels like less of a joke character, mm. more of a very serious character for their purposes here. And Waldorf oddly feels kind of secondary in this film. It, like it feels because like he's Statler, not on the door knocker. Yeah, that's a that's a big part of it. Because uh, he's the even in this scene, character. Yes, that's, that's not in a Christmas Carol. And, and yet, even in this scene, it feels like Sattler's got a lot of the lines. And they, they never quite get the balance even, but somehow I don't mind it. It still works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I was going to say about the lack of audience um, reaction or backlash to the recast is maybe mm-hmm. that's because the, the primary purpose of these characters is just to dispense jokes. They're never really called upon to have any kind of emotional arc or i mean maybe a couple of times on the muppet show they had something where we were sort of sympathetic uh toward them but for the most part they're they're just spouting off jokes so i think that goes a long way for for people not uh not not needing to feel too emotionally attached to them yeah and and in the previous muppet movies too they're not they're they're not doing a lot in those they're they're very much i think you you may have alluded this to, to this before but they're very much still in kind of an audience role yeah. in those previous films. Mm-hmm. And, Big time. Yeah. And, and like, they're just doing little bits of commentary and little tiny spots in those other movies. Yeah. And here it's not just that they have a bigger part. It's that they're actually part of the story and part of the movie. In oh, a that's movie true. Yeah. And that, uh, first of all, that's just a, a big change. It's just an interesting thing to see in and of itself. But also, because I'm such a dork, I can't help but think about the internal Muppet logic of, well, they they don't like the Muppets, supposedly, and yet they're now acting in this movie, taking on a big part in this Muppet, like really significant <laughs> parts as though they're invested. Yeah. And also parts that like require a lot of time in the makeup chair. Like they completely <laughs> transformed for this movie. They seem like they're really committed actors only in this. Right. Well, no, in the, in the in the next one they're a masthead. Yeah, in, in the ship. next one, so that's they're, yeah, they're yeah. wearing prosthetics and yeah, <laughs> they they also kind of go all out for Muppets Wizard of Oz. Um, oh, oh yeah, yeah, they, yeah. the Kaleida critics when they're those those creatures, yeah. yeah. So they'll commit if it's classic literature. I, I think that's what we're learning. Yeah, yeah. It's not that they're well, Muppet it fans. Makes sense. Yeah. It's that they're classic literature fans. Well, Aren't because they... this is what they were reading when they were a boy. Aren't they Tweedledee yeah. and Tweedledum mm-hmm. in the Brooke Shields episode when they do Alice in Wonderland? They are. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, all of this was, was, you know, was, was new to them when they were young. So because they're very, they, very they were young. They were young when that stuff came out. Yeah. Yeah. They so read, they read so Christmas all... Carol when it was 1843. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They very well might have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Waldorf or Robert Marley, which by the way, um, I'm sure we've mentioned this before, but yes, it would appear that <laughs> naming him Robert Marley is a reference or a joke uh, allusion to the singer Bob Marley. That's clever. A lot of people, I think, don't quite catch that the first time they see this, especially if you don't know that there is no Robert Marley in the book. So right. that's yeah. fun. Um, Waldorf says, look, it's Ebenezer Scrooge. Statler says, looking older and more wicked than ever. And Waldorf says, I knew he wouldn't disappoint us. And then they do the the trademark Statler and Waldorf laugh. <laughs> I, this is another thing about these characters, which happens when beloved characters have been around a long time and they are best known for doing a certain thing. And then they get sort of 
reduced to at least in audience expectations to mm-hmm. the basic evidence of just uh, the, the basic essence of them just doing that one thing. Like that's all they do all the time. And it seems yeah. to me that for casual fans, all they really expect from Statler and Waldorf is that they show up, like tell something that vaguely sounds like a joke and then go, no, but like, it's not even the joke that's important anymore at this point. It's just that they, they do the laugh. Yeah. I feel like what they're laughing after is not really a joke. This is this, one of right. the, this, 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 this is like, an example. This is not even a joke. But Looking they have, older they, and more wicked than ever. That's not a joke. <laughs> it is a little bit like if Miss Piggy walked into a room saying "Hiya." Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But but a lot of people would love that. People would eat that. It's up. true. They're just waiting for her to do it. They're just waiting for Sattler Waldorf to do the laugh. But I do wonder if this is kind of where that started. Maybe there there may be earlier examples from Jim and Richard, but yeah. um, just because a lot of people have seen this movie. By the way, for the record, Ebenezer Scrooge looking older and more wicked than ever. Michael Caine is 58 in this movie. <laughs> like, well, like as, as of, as of this recording, you know, who knows, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx him or anything, but as of this recording, the man is still alive. This mm-hmm. movie's 30 years old. Right. Like, it's not like he's, it's not like he's a super elderly man, mm-hmm. you know? Well, do we know, I forget. Did they say how long ago the Marleys died? Well, in the movie, I don't, in the book, it's seven years. Okay, he says he's, so he's been. Does he does he say it to Bunsen and Beaker? Which would be when he would say it. They, I, Marley's been dead these seven years. I don't the line remember the that, but I, you know. either way, he is looking older than the last time the Marleys saw him. So there is that. Yeah, right. I feel like seven years is mentioned in here somewhere. I really Maybe. feel like it, but I don't know. I don't remember. You would think that I would remember these things specifically watching a movie two minutes but, at a time but, and taking copious but notes. But it's one of those things, though, Ryan, where you're watching this movie two minutes at a time, but even so, you still have all these other versions rattling around in your head. You know, uh, as we've been true. discussing yes. the whole time. Like, yeah. you're thinking about Rich Little daily when you're, when you're, watching <laughs> this, when you're doing this podcast. Hey, you brought him up before you I know? did. I know, that's true. <laughs> How do we feel about these versions of the Statler and Waldorf puppets. Do you think that these were built specifically for this film or did they alter puppets that previously existed? I've always assumed that they built these for the movie. I guess not necessarily, but yeah, I don't know. They feel in keeping with the design styles that I'm used to for these characters. Mm -hmm. Like for whatever reason, I look at this and I'm like, yeah, that's how Jerry Nelson's Statler looks specifically. And I feel like Statler's before look different, Statler's after look different, but this looks like Jerry's Statler as he looks on Muppets Tonight. To me, mm, similar yeah. thing with Waldorf. And yet, yeah, I don't know. that could be way off. Well, to me, so much of their look in this movie is the lighting. You know, yeah. like there's that there's that shot in here where they're peering at Scrooge right before, uh, I think it's right before the more of gravy than of grave line or something. And Waldorf's eyelids look so thick and heavy. Mm-hmm. Like his, his eyes seems like his eyes seem so much more deep set behind his eyelids than usual. Well, yeah. And I think I, it's just because of like the weird shadows coming up from the bottom, you know, like the light yeah. coming up from the bottom, casting but, these weird shadows on their I, faces. I also think that's just true of how he looks now more than he did on the Muppet show. Like, I think that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to look at right. the evolution page. Yeah, exactly. Statler and Waldorf through the years. Something I didn't realize until not so many years ago is that I don't, maybe this happened in the eighties where they, they rebuilt Waldorf. The, the modern version of Waldorf looks quite a bit different from the Muppet show version of Waldorf. I don't know if it's the material that they build him out of or something about him. Like he, he just looks kind of smoother. He actually, he looks less like an old man now than he did on the Muppet show. Maybe he got Botox or something. I'm just going to continue talking while both of you are looking things up on your computers. I just like to see pictures of Stellar and Waldorf, Ryan. <laughs> I know. I'm like, what of it? <laughs> Am I missing something or is this movie just not on their through the years page? Oh, oh is it, that seems, it should be. That seems weird. I'm I'm seeing The Muppet Show Season 5 and then yeah, Muppets not, Tonight. How do they describe the change 
or the changes to the Waldorf puppet. Statler and Waldorf return to a setting similar to the one scene in the Muppet Show Sex and Violence, the regular attire. I'm not uh Waldorf's head has become much rounder. That's that's mm. the main change I'm seeing here. Well, this is surprising. Too. Surely there's got to be another page with information on this. As, uh, how, I mean, the Muppet Treasure Island change, as you mentioned, is really striking. Yeah. But maybe, maybe that doesn't yeah. fit the bill. Oh, maybe that's Statler and Waldorf's alternate identities. Maybe that's a separate page on Muppet Wiki. We're going to find <laughs> out. Yep. Statler and Waldorf's alternate identities and ages is the name oh. of the page. Ooh, okay, Muppet Wiki because, is the greatest yes, thing ever made. We will mm-hmm. see. We will see Waldorf with dark hair later in this movie, and and Statler, I guess. And Statler, yeah. But Waldorf looks weirder because but of his mustache. You think? So you think Statler looks hotter? Is what I'm hearing. Statler looks hotter. <laughs> yes, um, with, with his dark hair. You said Waldorf looks weirder than Statler. Yeah, I guess which if implies I had that to choose, Statler looks more attractive. Yes, if I had to choose, I would say Statler looks hotter. I always think Waldorf is hotter. Oh, okay. Now there's something. This will definitely be in the in the plus section of the description of this episode. I am. I That's... here's the thing. I'm very egocentric and self obsessed, so I like a balding man with facial hair. Okay. Okay. That's all. Well, we want to hear <laughs> from everyone. Who do you think is hotter, Statler or Waldorf? I don't know if this has ever been brought up anywhere else. For me, it entirely depends on the build, because I <laughs> hate the season five Waldorf puppet oh, yeah. so much. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I just feel like Waldorf in the first few seasons looks great, and I would say he's the hotter one. But then by the end of the Muppet Show, something's happened to Waldorf. The poor guy. I, he well, looks like he's the, seen a ghost. Maybe that's the point that I'm talking about, where he it just they rebuilt him, and he just did not look the same after that. But I feel like he's he's rebuilt again later. And oh, once I think once the eyelids get thick in Carol, then they just stay this way forever. Hmm. Okay. That that's what it looks like to me based on the images of Statler and Waldorf. I'm very much enjoying scrolling through on the Muppet Wiki. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> great to, so great to talk great. about the, the visual design of a puppet on an audio podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go check out Muppet Wiki, Statler and Waldorf's alternate identities and ages. Yes, I will. Google that. We will link Dang. to that in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, so there is this beat after the joke that's not really a joke, where there's just like a second of Statler and Waldorf and Scrooge just kind of staring at each other. I like that a lot because it's like they're waiting for him to respond. And he's mm-hmm. just trying to figure out what is happening. And then he asks them who they are. They tell him they're Jacob and Robert Marley. And he says he doesn't believe them. Uh, Jacob Marley says, why do you doubt your senses? He says, because a little thing can affect them. A slight disorder of the stomach can make them cheat. You may be a bit of undigested beef, a blob of mustard, a crumb of cheese. And there's, it cuts to back to Settler and Waldorf at one point, And they're just kind of like shrugging, like, get a load of this guy. And then uh, Scrooge begins to say the line, yes, there's more of gravy than of... That's where this clip cuts off. But I think in this Bummer. case... Bummer. But we, we have to to, <laughs> to reveal the punchline. All right, say, right? It. say it. The line is, there's more of gravy than of grave to you. Which is... Ah! <laughs> funny. <laughs> For those so, of you listening, that was JD. That was not Fozzie Bear suddenly entering the chat. Was... I think everyone can tell. I think we're okay. Fozzie Bear so, has entered the chat. So, Anthony, hey, fo- the, hey. the delightful pun, more of gravy than of grave, did the talented comedy writer Jerry Jewell write that line? No, he did not. Uh, the talented comedy writer Charles Dickens wrote that one. That's but, amazing. But Jerry Jewell did edit it down a little bit. Oh. Even if you can believe that, that list of foods is longer in the book. It's, really? You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard in the book, a blot of mustard, hmm. a hmm. crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. <laughs> and then he says, there's more of gravy than of gravy about you, whatever you are. So he still he's, makes a point to say, like, you're not Jacob Marley, whatever you are. Hmm. There's more gravy than gravy. He's just been eating gruel, though, in the book, and bread and cheese in the movie. Where Where is he getting all this mustard and undigested beef and 
of these other things. <laughs> Potatoes. You should write Dickens. Should write Dickens a letter. Uh, excuse me, sir. Dear I Mr. Dickens. the continuity, continuity, continuity error in your book, A yeah. Christmas Carol. <laughs> um, I yep. sorry, just. As a big fan of the podcast moving right along, I'm really glad that I got to be on an excuse me, sir, episode. <laughs> I'd be very happy. I feel like I really won here. Yeah. But is, also, that, is, that one of my, is that one of my signatures? I didn't even know. Like, I you do that bit often enough, and I'm always very happy when you. I love this character. Oh, good. That's a character that is just myself, but I'm embarrassed about That's it. Great. So <laughs> well, you know what? We, we get enough. Uh, comments on every episode of people saying uh excuse me sir so mm. you're, you're allowed oh, to do mm. it within the episode actually nephew fred is identified by me no um right no actually I, that reminds me i we we should be issuing uh corrections and clarifications because we have been getting a lot of great uh, comments on this season i'll try to get to that next week anyway where were we we were gonna, we? Say, we were gonna say something about about a gravy than a grave i think jd seemed like Probably. I had I had a lot of things. It's a long line, so I feel like I had a lot of things to remark on there. Uh, uh, let me try to organize my thoughts if I can. Backtracking a little, uh, as for the uh, cuts to just Sattler and Waldorf looking at him, yes, agreed. They're great. I like that it uh, shows that these characters who are so used to just being critics who have to wait for someone else to give them material so they can <laughs> say negative things about it are kind of put in this position where... Uh, until he he gives them something to make fun of, they've got nothing to do but just watch because that's <laughs> they what just, they do. Yeah. Um, I I also uh, this is uh, one of the best parts of the book because it is it's it's a joke. It's Scrooge delivering a joke and mm-hmm. uh, again easing that tension. But also, it's like because it is the big pun. I think in the story, I'll I'll, I'll trust that. Uh, Mr. Librarian Anthony Strand will will remember if there are other puns anywhere in this, uh, but I'm pretty sure it's the main pun. And so, yeah, it's the, it's the one everyone remembers for sure. Yeah, so it works really well. That I, I feel like either Fozzie or Statler and Waldorf had to be in this scene, and it just yeah. so happens that Statler and Waldorf work out perfectly for everything else about this scene. Yeah, and right the the fact that he delivers this pun here. In a that that sounds, it's it's not really a joke that Fozzie would do, but it's adjacent. That that yeah, makes right. that kind of glues the scene together. So it's not just they're in this because they're old. It's they're in this because they gotta make fun of them because it's the joke scene. It's the scene with yeah, the right. pun. They yeah. gotta be here, yeah. Yeah. and it all just right. works together so well, like magic. I love this yeah, scene, really guys. Like like I love this scene. I'm so glad you could Something join us out. for this one. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, issuing corrections to Charles Dickens, when I typed a slight disorder of the stomach in Google Docs in my notes, uh, Google Docs wanted me to change it to a slight stomach disorder. So mm. Charles Dickens, uh, not not using the most efficient language there. Disorder of the stomach is actually my favorite Tom Baker Doctor Who story. Go on. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a reference to a specific episode (laughs) or no, just because there's a terror of the Zygons and something of the something, you know, whatever. So something of the something is very common. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, cut that out of the stomach. You could keep that in. Keep (laughs) that in. Episode about that. Uh, So then, yeah, the I think the only other thing I wanted to mention, uh, which we've already alluded to, as I've been doing. The casting choices from other adaptations of A Christmas Carol that featured established characters. The part of Jacob Marley has also been played by Goofy in Mickey's Christmas Carol, Bugs Bunny wearing a disguise in Bugs Bunny's Looney Christmas Tales, uh, Mr. Slate in The Flintstones' Christmas Carol. And I'm actually going to have you guess who was Marley in Rich Little's Christmas Carol. So, um... Uh, Scrooge's W.C. Fields, correct? Yes. Is Marley Groucho? Nope. Hmm. So so Johnny Carson is nephew Fred, you said, uh, right? I think that was right, yes. Oh, it's, it's Jack Benny, isn't it? No. Huh. Uh, it's not Groucho, it's not Benny. No. It's not it's George Burns, because he's just like, he's old Joe or something. It's one of Rich um, Little's uh, most... Uh, arguably most famous... Yes, it's R- Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon? <laughs> Richard Nixon as <laughs> Jacob Marley. It's Richard so Nixon weird. warning Scrooge to change his ways and go on the path of righteousness. 
It's so weird. So I'm sure people people loved it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Uh, there was something I was going to say about Mar- oh, Mickey's Christmas Carol. The DVD of at least Walt Disney Treasures Mickey and Living Color Volume 2 has the behind-the-scenes featurette from 1983, which features Hal Smith talking about how to play Goofy in context of Jacob Marley's ghost. And every time I watch that special, which I do every year, I think about Hal Smith's face putting on that Goofy voice. (laughs) So... First, you have to look at Goofy. You have to see a picture of what you, you uh, the voice you're depicting. And then you say, well, now, he's only got two teeth in front, but they stick out. So you stick your teeth out till you get that sort of a funny sound, you know. And then you try to come up with uh, different kinds of laughs. Oh, 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 gosh, you know, the kind he does. Or, <laughs> or whatever the laugh might be, but you always have to remember that you are doing the character they're drawing on the screen, and you have to overact. <laughs> yep. It's, I think it's on YouTube. I mean, you can look it up, Making of Mickey's Christmas Carol, if you okay. want to see a master at work. Yeah, you know? yeah, I'll try to link to that if, if I can find it. Um, cool, so any other final thoughts on these minutes? I guess, Anthony, those were yours. Well, I have a, I have one more thing from the book, if that's okay, uh, but I, I don't have to. Well, no, I can, well, I can, can skip it. Well, yeah, let's go. So this is our old curiosity shop. Let's get to that now. Let's get to it. Let's do the old curiosity old shop. Old curiosity shop. Open for um, Madness. So I said a bunch of stuff already. The main thing is talking about jokes. This sequence in the book also has one of, I think, Dickens' weirdest jokes in the whole book. Oh. Which is, uh, so Marley is transparent, as Stetler and Waldorf are here, of course. Like, but that's clear mm. in the book. And he puts in, he devotes a whole paragraph to Scrooge had often heard it said that Marley had no bowels, but he had never believed it until now. So what? I always, I always thought this was the weirdest line and I still do. Uh, it turns out that there is a bit, again, a biblical reference Colossians three twelve in the King James version put on. Therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Um, so bowels of mercies is in the King James. And apparently, hmm. like, putting on bowels or showing your bowels was like a phrase that meant like showing mercy or pity for others. And this wow. is a phrase that would have been comp- like known to the audience. Yeah. This is, all in, this is all in the Annotated Christmas Carol, again, by Michael Patrick Hearn. So when he says he had long suspected that Marley had no bowels, that's what he meant. It looks like pity for his fellow man. But now he literally has no bowels because uh, presumably at the coroner, he was disemboweled. Right. right. Yikes. You know? Like, He's a dead guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a weird uh, joke, but there it, it is. And wow. They don't, they don't say it with Statler and Waldorf, but I think about that often. I it's mean, such a strange, striking line. He, here they're puppets. So it's, true on multiple levels <laughs> that's right, right. They, they technically do but, not have bowels. but can you imagine gonzo pops up and says scrooge had long <laughs> suspected that marley had, had long heard it said that marley had no bowels yeah <laughs> the more right. you, the more you tempt me with the thought of more <laughs> gonzo reading dickens yeah Sorry, Anthony, I'm not trying to make you spit take here. <laughs> no, no. Real, like, really, Dave Golds should just do an audiobook of the entire novel. Oh, yes. Wow. As, as Gonzo. Yeah. There's, yes. you know, like, we should, we should pitch it to him now. Yeah. You know? yeah I, I mean, I think that would be good in part because they could get a lot out of that one recording. If, if, if he ha- does the whole thing as Gonzo, then they can pitch it up, and he's also done it as Figment. I think <laughs> that's true. That's, that's true. just a really yeah. good deal. Business just from Christmas a business Carol. standpoint, good oh, ROI. Huh. I sure, don't know. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm also picturing um, Scrooge McDuck saying to Goofy, like, I always knew you had no bowels. <laughs> yeah. Go, so there you go. That's my, that's my last note. Okay. I mean, uh, it, it reads to me like you have no guts. It feels like that's what uh, it's yeah. to say. So yeah. it's sure, kind yeah. of works for me, but I right. would not have gotten the yeah. Bible reference. <laughs> right. So, J.D., okay. then, no, do either. you have any final thoughts on these two minutes? Yes, I do. I feel like I've shared so much. This has been long. I'm sorry. 
Uh, you're the guest on the show, so that's fine. <laughs> okay, and then you can you're the editor, so you can cut what you want. Um, I I think in a way, this scene is kind of this may be bold, but it's kind of reclaiming chroma key bunraku puppetry after it had uh, failed miserably in labyrinth. Like that was only a few years earlier, and it's trying to do the thing where you puppeteer, you know puppets that you see in full where you see their arms and legs move and all that. Mm-hmm. And the, the background is removed so they can put it somewhere else uh, in labyrinth. Famously, it looks pretty bad. People make fun of it a lot. It, it took a while to perfect that technique because in labyrinth and like on the Jim Henson hour, you can see the, this like sort of gray outline around all the characters when they're in front of a blue screen. It's, it's different in every production. Because for Labyrinth, they tried to do everything in front of black velvet and just remove the black, which is very different, which is how they would do it, I think, for some television stuff. But it didn't work with film cameras. So then they had to go like frame by frame, cutting all the characters out manually, Mm. which is not how that's supposed Mm. to work. Whereas for other stuff like the Jim Henson hour, it's more traditional green screen matting. But even then, I want to say I heard on a panel somewhere and I could be wrong about this, but I want to say I heard one of the Hensons talking about how the technology to do this well didn't exist when Jim Henson was trying to do it in Labyrinth. And then he went to some tech convention in Japan or something just a few months later and found that the technology that he needed had been invented. I wish I could remember the details here, but I can't. That for some reason, that's just one of those random memories from an interview I heard somewhere years ago that's been stuck in my brain. And I'd really like to think that this scene is them going, finally, we're doing this yeah. kind of puppetry, this kind of effect, the way that Jim Henson would have wanted. His imagination was just a few steps ahead of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, Always was. I, but it I looks actually, so good here. I had a note that I, I guess yeah. I was going to use next week, but from, I think this is from the DVD commentary. Uh, Brian Henson said that they filmed Statler and Waldorf on a black background, and then he said they rewound the film and shot the scene again on the empty set so the characters would appear transparent and transparent in front of the set. So I guess they were still using the black background method at this just, point, just like just like an old fashioned double exposure. I guess so, but maybe yeah. they just had huh. better. I don't know. Maybe the cameras were were better at shooting that or i don't know right but i mean they did that in like that's in you know abbott and costello in the time of their lives that's yeah. how they make lou costello transparent in that movie was mm. a double exposure you know and it I looks mean, fine there i think in the yeah. 40s it looks fine it probably helps that here they're supposed to be transparent yes as opposed to yeah. in other puppet things like this where they really need to not be right right that's the whole thing yeah Huh. I like the idea of Fires as ghosts. That'd be neat, but <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to be able to see through the fires. No, but but now we don't know whether or not they have bowels. Oh, That's boy. my problem. That's what I'm going to be thinking about every time I watch Labyrinth now. Ugh. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what else to say. So, in that case, uh, but like, JD. Uh, oh, go ahead. I just thought of it a split second too late, which was going to be ain't got no bowels to worry about. No bowels to worry about. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) So, JD, we like to ask our guests a few questions. Um, Do you, what's your history with this movie? Where does it rank in your ranking of all the Muppet movies? And do you watch this every year around the holidays? All questions that are harder for me to answer than they should be. I'll Mm -hmm. say this. I don't intentionally watch it every year around the holidays because I don't do that for anything. I don't have the time for it, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, And also, any movie that I watched a year ago feels like I just watched it a week ago for some reason. Um, But I always end up, it's always on in the house. So I always see fragments of it. And usually, once it's on, no matter where I jump in, I kind of can't pull away from it. Sure. It has the power to it. It's, it's always compelling, and I always find myself wishing I watched it every year. So maybe I should. Hmm. Um, my my history with this is it was just part of the jumble of Muppet things, and I have no idea what order it was in. But I would have gotten into this later than like Sesame Street. I saw that right. earlier, 
I've probably said this on too many podcasts now, but Muppets were not very accessible when I was very young. So I was not seeing Muppet stuff when I was like five. But then years later, I'm like, this Jim Henson guy who did Sesame Street and Bear in the Big Blue House seems important. I should find everything else he ever did and become a big nerd about this. And then over the years, I did that. So this was just somewhere in the mix. I don't know where. Yeah. But I saw it at some point in childhood before high school. That's all that I can say, definitely. And I really liked it. I liked that it was a movie that other people really liked so I could get other people to watch a Muppet thing with me. That counts sure. for a lot. Yeah, uh, I love the darkness of it because it's not too—I don't know—it's not too cute and sentimental. I don't know that any of the Muppet movies necessarily are. Yeah, it's an interesting balance of kind of warm and friendly, yeah. and also kind of dark. Yeah, yeah. I it my ranking it moves a lot because I find from year to year. I want different things from this movie, which is a weird thing to say, but like one year I'll be bothered by the fact that it seems too, uh, you know, I might be bothered by that, by how it's not enough Muppets for me, maybe how it's not enough of a Muppet movie. And it's like, I just want to watch a Muppet Christmas thing. And it's all this Christmas Carol stuff, the Scrooge stuff. But then the next year I'll be like, I just want a good Christmas Carol adaptation. And I know that's in here, but it gets interrupted by little quips from uh, Gonzo and Rizzo that don't add much sometimes. But then now I think I'm at the point where I feel like it all kind of goes together for me. And it's particularly because of scenes like this one where they have a a trust and a confidence that the story works Mm -hmm. and they just let it do its thing. So now I would say it's my number three. I okay. always have Great Muppet Caper as my number one. I think we're all caper boys here. Yeah. The caper poster behind can... Anthony. Yeah, I was going to say it's right there. It's great. It's, a, it's great. It's a Thank bunch you. of caper boys. <laughs> a bunch of caper boys. Don't you dare make that the title. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, caper's my number one. It's up there among my top favorite Henson things generally, along with labyrinth and weirdly the cube uh and then the muppet movie and then this i think it has risen a lot over time carol just works it's just a really good movie yeah great yeah muppet christmas carol's awesome we should watch that (laughs) yeah that's a good idea Two minutes at a time. All right. So with that, then we can wrap things up for this week. Uh, Everyone, please make sure you check out tough pigs on the internet and all the places uh, we have a link tree, which I believe is linktr.ee slash toughpigs if you want to find all the places where you can find us in other places. Um, thank you to Morgan Davey for our logo. Uh, if you'd like to support us on Patreon, and we would really appreciate it, you can find us at patreon.com slash toughpigs. You can email us at movingrightalong at toughpigs.com to let us know what's on your mind. You can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe. I'm also on Letterboxd at Movies Are Neat. Anthony is on Letterboxd at Zeppo Marxist. Please follow us. As of this recording, nobody has liked my review of Bodies, 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 and I'm just waiting for that to happen. So uh, please follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, JD, where can people <laughs> find you and or your work on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at JD11PC. I'm also JD11PC on Letterboxd. You can find uh, the Bad Jim Henson Restaurant, my Twitter project that I I wrapped it up a few months ago, but the tweets are still there if you want to look through. Uh, if you want to look through them, that's at Bad well, and Henson we, Bistro. And, and we posted the menu on Tough Picks. Yeah, that's honestly probably the best place to look is on yeah. toughpicks.com. You can see the full menu where it's all put together, which is the best way to experience it, I think. Yeah, if if you're the kind of yeah. Muppet nerd who's uh, really listening and enjoying this podcast, I think you would also really enjoy Bad Henson Bistro. It is, like I didn't I didn't know you as a person at all when you did that work, JD. And True. I think it's the greatest. Like I think it's so oh, thank fun. You. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very glad that we know each other now. Um, yeah, me too. Uh and then uh Bad Henson Bio. The the Twitter account is still there if you want to look up at Bad Henson Bio and then the uh archives for that, which is probably the better place if you want to uh, read all that in order is at bearswearhats.com because I just needed some place to put it. Yeah. That's what I landed on. <laughs> does, does anyone need an explanation of what this projects boy. are? 
I feel like I can't just say these things and expect people to know what they are. Uh, the the Bad Henson Bistro is a, a fake menu for a fake Jim Henson restaurant. Just my imaginings of all the things, the weird Henson related things that could be on a themed restaurant that's right. the theme to Jim Henson and the Muppets. Uh, Bad Henson bio is uh, fragments of very much not real uh, scenes from a biopic of Jim Henson that I just made up. Right. I don't know how to better explain it than that. It's no, a very I weird thing. That sums it up. Yeah. It's so, very funny. Look, Go look, read those. Look for more stuff from me on Tough Pigs in the future. Yeah, yeah, we hope so. And listeners, we love positive reviews online, so please uh, do that and tell people about the show and join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Looking older and more wicked than ever. Ah! Oh, Fozzie's back! Fuzzy, don't steal Jay Leno's ashtray or candy dish or whatever it was. <laughs>